everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week, most of my co-hosts couldn't make it. Amy had work meetings today. Christopher had some stuff come up. I'm not sure where Christopher and Andy is. Joe told me he couldn't make it. And AJ RSVP'd, but didn't show. So anyway, uh, looks like it's just me. But yeah, we're going to be talking about the 10X Engineers tweets today. I have some rants coming on YouTube that I'm going to be putting out about this. But uh, I, I just, I really wanted to dive into this kind of on this channel and see where we end up. One of the things that I find that we talk a lot about at the different conferences and the different things that I'm working on is open source software. And a lot of people have a lot of ideas around open source software, but we don't often think about the people who are building it and trying to maintain it. And I had a friend, John, who came to me. He's been a guest on JavaScript Jabber a couple of times. He came and he actually said, hey, Chuck, I wish there was a show about sustaining open source. And that really hit me where I live. And I have a few other friends who are working on projects related to this. So we all got together and we put together a show called Sustain Our Software. You can find it at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. And it's a place where several people who are passionate about open source come together and have conversations about how it can be sustained and how it can be maintained and what we can do to help these maintainers continue to deliver us value that we build our software on. Most of the software we're building is based on open source. And so it's important to us to have that maintained and have it taken care of. Come check it out. It's been really interesting to listen to the conversations that they're having from people who are working in it all the time and just hear what they have to say about it. Once again, that's at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. The 10X engineer thing was something that uh, I, I kind of read through. And initially when I heard about it, I was like, okay, so 10X engineer is kind of a stand-in for somebody who gets more work done than other engineers. And some people are going to be more productive than others. And then somebody pointed me at the tweets and then I had a good laugh. So basically the way that I want to approach this, and if I have any of my co-hosts show up, then great. And if not, then great. And I've, I've heard some people basically arguing on behalf of the 10X engineer thing. And that I understand until I realized that they, they didn't read like the whole tweet thread. At which point I'm going, okay, go read the tweet thread because it's a little bit ridiculous. So I'm going to go through the tweet thread and I'm just going to kind of hit all these points really quickly, mainly because most of them I don't feel like they're worth my time beyond laughing at. Some of them I do want to talk through and just be like, look, you know, th this is the value in this, but for the most part, it's, it's crap. Or I can't remember, there might have been one that actually made sense. But yeah, I'll get through them. And we'll talk through them. And then I'm going to talk about what I actually think a 10x engineer is. Because I think there are people out there that are 10x engineers. But my definition is different from this guy's tweets. So let's go ahead and drop these in. Also, one other thing, uh, since we went to two episodes per week, I'm finding that not all of my co-hosts can make it to all of the episodes. So I am looking for a few more co-hosts for JavaScript Jabber. We reach about twenty to 25,000 downloads per episode. So if you kind of want to build your reputation and you feel like you have something to say about JavaScript, let me know. Chuck at devchat.tv. All right, here we go. So 10X engineers, here's the tweet. And I'm just going to read these and then just talk through them as I go. So 10X engineers, founders, if you ever come across this rare breed of engineers, grab them. If you have a 10X engineer as part of your first few engineers, you increase the odds of your startup success significantly. Okay, here's the tough question. How do you spot a 10X engineer? So he doesn't really define what a 10X engineer is, but he says that if they're out there, grab them. And, and this is part of my issue just to begin with, is that a 10X engineer is what? 
somebody who gets 10 times the work done is 10 times more productive than other engineers, which is different, I think, than, than what the work that gets done, right? Because you can have a lot of other influences on the team and on the code and things like that. So this 10x engineer is a little bit ambiguous. But, but I think generally the assumption is, is that you're going to plug somebody in and they're going to get 10 times the work done as the average engineer. So let's just go with that, okay? But the thing is, is what is the average engineer? Who is the average engineer? Under what conditions are they 10 times more effective? I mean, for some people, they work really well in kind of an open office, feel like they're around other people, you know, and it just kind of helps them relax and get into the mood. Other people are going to put their headphones on. They're going to put their blinders on. They just don't want to see anybody. They don't want to talk to anybody while they're in the zone. And then they collaborate well with other people. And so you kind of get this interesting mix that sets up the situation for people. But overall, the 10x engineer thing, it's still somewhat ambiguous. And it depends a lot. People's productivity depends a lot on how they work, what gets them going, and then you know how, how the company matches up with that. So if the company doesn't inspire 10x work, then you may have a 10x engineer that would be a 10x engineer at another company, but not yours. I think you can argue that some people are going to be more productive, I guess, than others. But even then, it's really hard to, to measure. And just to kind of rant on this a little bit more, I've worked at a number of places and on a number of teams and talked to a ton of people about how you measure engineering or programmer performance. And nobody has a really good way of doing it. People have, have used like lines of code as proxy, but you can gamify that, right? You know, certain white space or things like that, you can totally gamify it. You know, this is JavaScript Jabber. So on the JavaScript discussion, for example, I can think of a dozen different ways that you can break things down so that you get more lines of code out of things. So, so that's not a good measure. So what is it then? User stories? Well, those user stories are typically uh, going to be different in size. And if you've ever tried to estimate the amount of work that a user story is or a feature is, you'll realize that the accuracy isn't always great. So that's not always a great proxy either. There really isn't a great way to do it. And so people start getting with, complicated with it, right? Well, it's how many user stories or you know, how many story points, if you're doing estimation that way, you know, which is just a measure of how complex each feature or part of the system is, they get done and then you adjust for bugs that they write and you adjust for time loss to this, that, and the other. But if they don't write well-maintained code, then there's not a really good way to check that out. And you know, anyway, so it, it gets into a real mess real quick. So I really don't like the idea of, you know, measuring it and saying, you know, definitively, this person is 10 times better or more productive than this other person. It's just, it's really, really hard to quantify. I mean, that said, if you go into a team and you work with them for a few months, you'll be able to tell which engineers are delivering more than the other engineers you can get a feel for what the difference is with and without them. You know, if they're gone for a week, you can definitely tell, oh, you know, th this is the effect they had on the team. But generally, it's just, it's, it's really, really impossible to measure. And then you've got people who, you put them on the team and their measurable output is one to two times maybe what some of the other members of the team are. But then the, the way that they work with other people and inspire other people and enable other people means that their overall impact may be 10x, but you're not measuring the other 6 or 7x that you're getting from the way that they lead, the way that they interact, the way that they work. And so 
And I'm going to get into that when I talk about what I think a 10x engineer, if they exist, what they actually look like. Because what this guy's talking about is, <laughs> anyway, it's just silly. So let me dive into these, though, because I think some of this is kind of a stereotypical view on developers. And I also think some of this just comes from the standpoint of business people. Well, I'll get into it later. But essentially, business people looking at developers as essentially a widget factory that pump out code. All right. So let's start with number one. And this is probably one that I agree with more than not, is that 10x engineers hate meetings. And it's true, right? I mean, people like to do what they like to do, and they hate to do what they hate to do. In this case, they think it... I'm reading from the tweet again. They think it's a waste of time and obvious things are being discussed. They attend meetings because the manager has called for a, quote, staff meeting, unquote, to discuss the features and status. All right. So, I mean, this, this is true and not true, right? I've been to some meetings where I felt like they were productive meetings, got everybody on the same page, made sure that the code we were writing was all what we wanted, essentially avoided some issues that we might have run into if we hadn't had the meeting, okay? And so I don't think 10x engineers hate all meetings, but for the most part, meetings are a waste of time. And so I, I tend to agree with this. They'll show up to the meeting because they'll be in trouble if they don't. But again, this really boils down to uh, my take on what a 10x engineer is if they exist. And that is, is that 10x engineers have to be enabled by the organization. And so they'll only be called into meetings that they have to be in. They won't be called into meetings just because the manager is called a quote staff meeting. They're going to be called in because, or they're going to go to a meeting because they know that the meeting is going to be short, it's going to be focused, and it's going to be productive. And then they can get back to the things that they're good at. So I think uh, 10x engineers, and I'm kind of spoiling what I'm putting in later on, but I think 10x engineers is an organizational thing. It's an organizational problem to solve as much as it is the engineer's problem to solve as far as being productive. So yeah, I, I tend to agree with this, but it's partially the organization, right? The organization needs to learn how to make the most of the engineer's time and not waste it. I know this is Twitter. He only has, what, 280 characters to make his point here. And so I can kind of give him a pass on this one. So let's move on to number two, timing in the office. He says timings. He's from India. And so sometimes I find that the, the English there is a little bit different. I don't know if that's necessarily, it's always necessarily wrong, but it's not fluent to the US. So anyway, timings in the office for 10x engineers is highly irregular. They tend to work when very few folks are around. If there is a crowd or an all-hands meeting, they are not visible. Most of them are late-night coders and come late into the office. I find that this is probably 80% incorrect. Most of the, quote, 10x engineers, most of the, the highly productive engineers that really deliver well, I found that in uh, high-functioning teams, they're all there at the same time. They all work in the same office. They work well together, even if it's an open office bullpen situation. They really do work well together and they know how to get in and get stuff done. The other thing is, is that most of the 10x engineers that I know what they really want is to get the things done that they need to get done. And a lot of them are involved in other things in life outside of work. And so they're going to come in. If anything, they're going to come in early. They're going to get their crap done. And then they're going to go home to their family or their life. And they're going to go live their life, right? Some of them are going to come in for late nights. And I've seen this more generally if there's like some kind of code crunch, right? Where it's, okay, I've got to get in and I've got to get, the, get these extra features done. They'll stay late, right? They'll stay late and get it done and nobody's in the office and so nobody's bothering them. But that's the exception, not the rule. 
right? That kind of behavior. And yeah, they will be more productive when there are less people there and they recognize that. But a lot of the good engineers have coping mechanisms too. So I, I mostly flatly disagree with this one. The next one, 10X engineers, laptop screen background color is typically black. They always change defaults. Their keyboard keys such as IFX are usually more worn out than uh, A, S, and E. <laughs> I mean, this is just stupid. Most of the engineers that I know, they'll set the background color to whatever makes them comfortable. And that's what they'll do. Some of them go with the default, some of them don't. The keyboard keys such as IF and X, which tend to be keys that are used for Vim. So I is insert mode, F is move forward, X is delete. If I remember right, I'm more of an Emacs guy. So for me, it would be X, C, uh, V kind of things, you know, that I would be hitting and my control key would be worn out. This is just dumb. It's, oh, you're, you're using these particular kinds of tools. And so not necessarily. I do agree that they're going to be using keyboard shortcuts. They're going to be optimizing the way that they work. They're going to know their tools and they're going to be able to use those effectively. But to say that the, those keys are going to get worn out is, is just dumb. The other thing is, is like on my keyboard, for example, I've had this keyboard for a few years. None of the keys are worn out. And the reality is, is that I think they're backlit. And so I think the, the lettering goes, you know, clear through the key, right? It's not printed on there. It's actually part of the key. And so it's not going to get worn out. You know, there, there are a lot of ways that people work. Yeah, anyway, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, this one. And, and this is the other thing is, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, you just go check off the list. No, for heaven's sakes, go talk to them, right? Go talk to them and say, okay, so how do you code, right? And then they can sit down and they can say, okay, well, you know, I, I learned to code in Emacs. I'm using Emacs key bindings. I'm using Visual Studio Code because it gives me these other tools and blah, 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 right? And so they can tell you about their setup. They can tell you why they're using it. And they can tell you why it give, gives them the productivity. And that is a way better measure of how much code they can write. But even then, a lot of the code that's being written is when they sit back, they kind of take a minute and they go, okay, what's the best way to solve this problem, right? And so it's them thinking. It's not them pounding on keys and making code come out. And this is the real problem I have with a lot of these is that it's not the amount of code to come out. It really is how well the problems are solved, how maintainable the code is, how you take your approach to this and what you're looking for as far as, I guess there's a measure of quality as far as well as output. And so it's, it's insane to say, oh, they're going to wear out their keyboard because they're writing so much code at this level. It's just, it's dumb. Sorry, it's just, it's dumb. All right, number four. This is the one that is patently ridiculous, okay? 10X engineers know every line of code that has gone into production. Bull crap, okay? I, I try and keep a family-friendly rating on here, so bull sh crap. This is utter crap, okay? If a QA or support folks alert or alert an issue, they know precisely where the fault or bug is and can fix it the same in hours versus days. Total crap. If they were working on it yesterday, maybe. If they were working on it a month ago, forget it. If they were working on it a year ago, <laughs> I, I mean, this is, this is insane. And the thing is, is software has gotten so complicated these days to where unless it's a tiny app, in which case this may be true, you have multiple people working on it. There's no way you can keep track of everything that's going into production. Does Facebook have 10X engineers? Probably, if they exist, Facebook probably has some. 
do they know every line of code that's gone into production? No, because nobody has freaking time for that. I've worked on teams of like six or seven people. I didn't have time to keep track of everything that everybody was writing. This is insane. And then uh, my code uh, butted up against somebody else's code. They called into mine, mine called into theirs, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so even parts of my own code, the things that I wrote, I didn't completely understand everything that was inside of it as far as like how it was arranged and things like that. The other thing is, is that once I had the problem solved, my brain moved on to something else. And I didn't, I didn't always remember all the details of every line of code that went into production. So this is just patently dumb. Obviously, this guy has no idea whatsoever as to what goes into writing a complex piece of software. So, I, I mean, I have to say number four is, is absolutely stupid. So, so far, I think we've got one that I agree with, two that I patently disagree with, and the third one where I'm saying maybe the underlying message might possibly be something that you could go for, but talk to the engineer and make sure you understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing. All right. Five, most of the 10X engineers are full stack engineers. Not true. For them, code is code and they don't care whether it's front end, back end, API, database, serverless, etc. I've rarely seen them doing UI work. Again, this is, this is absolutely stupid. Different people prefer to work on different parts of the code. A lot of people prefer different languages and frameworks. A lot of people like working at different levels in the code. And a lot of them are better at those things. And so what he's advocating is, is that the best engineers are generalists. Now, I have to give him a little bit of a pass here because he did say founders and startups, right? So at the beginning, yeah, you probably want a high-level generalist to come in and work on your app. But as you get more complicated and you get more people involved, and it gets more involved on the front end or the back end or the database, et cetera, you're probably going to want to have some specialists that can come in and handle the really messy, hairy bits of your front end code, your back end code, your API code, your database code, your serverless code, et cetera, and can actually knock that stuff out of the park. And so as soon as it starts to get complicated, you're going to not want those generalists. You're not going to want those code is code people. You're going to want those people who deeply understand the systems that they're working in and can actually go in and enable everybody else. And they're going to be your 10x engineers because the changes and fixes and understanding and knowledge that they bring is going to enhance the work that everybody else does. All right? So, yeah, number five, dumb. Okay? So the first one I agree with, the rest of these I really don't though I can kind of give them a little bit of credit here and there. Number six is 10x engineers can convert thought into code in their mind and write it in an iterative fashion. Given a product feature, they can write that entire feature in one or two sittings of four to six hours with a caffeinated drink without distraction. That, again, is absolutely not true. Depending on the feature, it may take days. Now, your job is essentially to convert thought into code, but a lot of that work is actually doing enough of the conversation and clarification to understand the thinking that goes into the product and feature. And then once you understand it, convert that thinking into code. So 10x engineers are going to spend as much time understanding the problem as they are going to spend writing the code that fixes the problem. Or they're going to work with somebody who does that. And then once they understand the thinking behind the problem and can go write the code, then they'll write the code. They don't just convert caffeine into code. There's more to it than that. And so again, this is the guy, he has this mindset that programmers are essentially people that you sit them in a chair, you put a caffeinated drink in their hand, you turn the crank and they pump out code. It just doesn't work that way. All right. 
Seven, 10X engineers rarely look at help documentation of classes and methods. They know it in memory and can recall from memory. They write code at the same ease as writing English. No breaks, no pause, just type. And that's why Stack Overflow doesn't get any traffic whatsoever. It's because people automatically know all of the APIs. This again is stupid. The API space just for a language and its standard library is more than any one person can know off the top of their head. Now, if they've done it a lot, they're going to know more than a lot of other people. And they're going to have a better idea of where to look. But when it comes right down to it, they don't have it all in memory. They have the common things that they do all the time in there in memory. And so it feels like, in a lot of cases, they just stream a thought the code out. But the reality is, is eventually they're going to run into some API that they need to use that they've used before that they haven't used a ton and they don't have it memorized or it has a call signature that you know maybe has eight or 10 variables or a bunch of different options in it that they don't remember all of them because the name is just ambiguous enough to where they can't remember what it is. And so they have to go look it up. And so reality check, they're going to go look it up, right? They're going to go look in the documentation. They're going to go look in, and this isn't a rare occurrence. They probably do it a couple times a day at least, even the really good folks. So I'm sorry, but, but this is also just patently dumb. The 10X engineers, if they exist, and, and you can make the case, you know, are there 10X engineers? What are 10X engineers? Can you get to be a 10X engineer? I don't know. Again, because it's just really hard to measure. But the top end engineers, they know where to look. They know how to find it. They know how to find it quickly. And at a glance, then they can go back and they can go and implement it in the code, right? So they've optimized that part of the puzzle. They're not optimizing the part of the puzzle where they go in and they've done flashcards on all the HTTP methods so that they can make a call out to whatever library. It's just insane. Eight, 10X engineers are always learning new frameworks, languages ahead of everyone in the company. They are not afraid of anything new. If there is something new, for example, blockchain, they gobble it up, set up, experiment before anyone is getting started. Now, this is kind of true, right? The 10X engineers or the people who are kind of taking the lead on a lot of things are going to be the people, you know, that, that are out there trying the new things. And so they hear about Webpack, they hear about Parcel.js, you know, because it's, it's a new and up-and-coming up thing. Or, you know, um, Google's releasing Bazel, which is their build system, right? So they're going to go play with it and they're going to see what the advantages are. And they're probably going to build an example project with it. You know, so this one I, I generally do agree with. Now, they can't try everything. And so they're going to have a pretty good idea of what they think is going to pay off for them and for the company. And they're going to spend some time actually figuring it out. And then they'll come back and they'll say, hey, you know, there's this thing and I've played with it and I think it'll solve our problems. So this one I tend to kind of agree with. So right now we're two for eight, okay? Two for eight, where I think, okay, you know, this is mostly true. But, uh, you know, again, it, it, it's more the, the mindset of the people that you're talking about here where the 10X engineers, they just, they want to get the stuff done. The top, the top people, they want to get stuff done. They want to make a good impact. They, they want to have the output that they care about. And so at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're going to invest the time to do it. It's the same thing with the meeting, right? They'd rather not invest their time in the meeting. They'd rather invest their time in the things that matter. So two for 11. Let's see. Uh, number nine, 10X engineers are poor mentors. This one, I really want to curse. I really, really want to curse because this one's garbage too as they can't teach others on what to do or parcel their, parcel their work. They always think it takes too long to teach or discuss with others. I would rather do it myself. They are also poor interviewers. Okay, so these aren't 10X engineers. These are one-tenth engineers, okay? 
the ones that can't teach or do or blah, 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 right? Because at this point in software development, if you're going to build any kind of software that anybody's going to use for anything, and it's not super duper simple, then they're going to have to work with other people. They have to parcel out the work. They have to be able to explain it to other people. And to be honest, the 10x engineers, this is the exact and antithesis of what a 10x engineer is. This is absolutely asinine. Your 10x engineers are going to be the people that raise organizational growth, okay? They're going to be the ones that are out there mentoring everybody and getting all their crap done, okay? So they're going to have a pile of features that they're working on. They understand the system well enough to actually go in and implement stuff. They're going to be the ones that understand where everything goes, how it's all organized, how it's all architected. At a high level, they're going to know where to go look generally for things, you know, back to the debugging one, right? They don't know every line of code, but they kind of understand where a lot of this goes. But yeah, for the rest of it, I mean, this is this is 100% wrong. 100% wrong, okay? People who think this way are terrible for your organization. And in a startup, this is the kicker, is founders in startups, if you hire an engineer like this, you are a moron, okay? You're an idiot because the engineers you need to hire up front, your first, what, two? or three engineers need to be the kind of people that can build out your team. They need to be the kind of people that can set the stage for everything else. Because as your organization grows, these are the people who are going to be hiring the rest of the engineers in your organization. And so if they can't mentor them, if they can't teach them, if they can't parcel the workout, then they are not going to be doing you any favors. Yeah, they may be able to grind out your MVP. Good for them. But then at the end of the day, what's going to wind up happening is you're going to bring other people in who can actually build the team and these guys are going to leave and then everybody else has to figure out what the crap is going on. And so your 10X engineers as poor mentors is 100% wrong. And if you're hiring people who are poor mentors, you are doing yourself a disservice, okay? You do not, I repeat, you do not ever want to hire an engineer who cannot work with other people and who cannot explain what they're doing to other people. Because if you hire those people, then you are going to have problems in your code. You're going to have problems in your organization. And these people are going to be terrorists to the people who, and, and I'm borrowing this term from an episode of DevEd podcast on devchat.tv. They are going to terrorize the rest of your engineers and you're going to lose good engineers to these people because these people will drive them away. So 100%, number nine is wrong. It is so wrong that he gets zero credit for number one and number eight. That's how wrong this is. This is stupid. And do not take that advice. It is. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my rant here because then I am going to start swearing. And then the next thing you're going to know is that number nine is essentially bleep, 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 bleep. Anyway, it's just, I'm sorry, but, but that is absolutely stupid. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't take it when people are like, oh, you just need a guy. Well, I'm sorry, but in software engineering anymore, you do not just need a guy. What you need is you need somebody who can come in and make your team work that lines up with the organizational qualities that you have at your company, that line up with the values that you have as a company, the culture that you have as a company that fit in well, that actually thrive under the things that you've set up in the company and can help other people come in and do the same thing. Those are the people you want. Those are the people who are going to be productive under those circumstances and are going to help everybody else do that too. 
This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, number 10. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Okay, number 10. 10X engineers don't hack things. They write quality code and exactly how the code has to evolve and have a mental model of overall code structure. They write at most one design document and the rest is in the code. This, again, is utter garbage, okay? The reality is, is that you almost never know what's coming. I mean, sure, you might have a roadmap and you have, might have a pretty good idea because your founders have gone out and talked to a whole bunch of customers. They have a pretty good idea of what people want. But the reality is, is as soon as you get in and start writing code and having people use it, you're going to start getting different feedback. And that feedback is way more valuable than the feedback you got when you went out and talked to people in the first place. Even if you put a model in front of them and walked them through using the code and things like that, things are going to change, okay? So they won't know how things are going to have to evolve. They might have some idea of how some things have to evolve because you're going to get some of it right, but you're going to get a lot of it wrong. And so if you're writing code so that it can evolve the way you think it's going to have to, instead of writing code that is flexible and easy to maintain and easy to change so that you can change it in whatever way you need to to match with the feedback you're getting back, then that's what a top engineer does. So they know exactly how the code has to evolve. Crap, utter garbage, okay? It's baloney, okay? You're gonna get in, you're gonna start writing code, you're gonna learn a whole bunch of stuff and you're gonna figure out that your mental model had to change. And then they do have a mental model of the overall code structure. This is generally true. They generally know how things go together at a high level. And so then they can say, okay, well, this thing probably is part of this feature and that lives in this part of the code. And so if there's a problem with it or if I need to modify it or tie into it, I know where it is. And when I add this new feature, I know what part of the code it is. I know where it belongs. I know how it's organized so I can put it in the right place. And that way it's easy for everybody else to find. They write at one at most one design document. I have never, ever seen this be the case. Ever, 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 ever. Okay, so usually the way this works is there's no design document. That's by and far my experience with programming is that there's no design document at all. And then the rest of the cases where there is, you know, documentation for the design, it's usually in a wiki or something, which I guess you could call one design document. But a wiki is mostly by definition, a collection of design documents for each part of the code. And even then, it's probably out of date. So anyway, I'm sorry, but documentation and uh, documentation of the design of the program, it's useful. I think it's worthwhile some of the time, especially for some of the hairier parts of the code. But then you've got to build a discipline into your organization to use it. And that's the real kicker here is that most organizations 
don't put enough emphasis on it to make it worth it. I think organizations need to make up a judgment call here as far as whether or not it's worth it, right? Because some organizations work fine without it and it may or may not actually save them time. And then other organizations, depending on their size and the way that they're organized, could benefit from it. And so your organization needs to take the time to figure out if this is something they want. But otherwise, you know, a lot of it's just going to be passed down. Can't remember the term. Um, but it's, it's all going to be basically verbal lore. So 10 is crap, okay? And nine was so bad that we're back to zero out of 10. So anyway, 11, 10X engineers rarely job hunt or move out of the company. They move out because you make their life miserable with the process meetings, training, and other non-value added activities. If you come across them, hold on to them, celebrate them. Uh, so this is right for the wrong reason, okay? So 10X engineers or top engineers rarely job hunt or move out of the company. Now, this is mostly true, okay? When top people move, it's because they are going to something else that they want more, okay? Or because, yeah, something's changed in the, in the way that they're working to where they're not happy where they are, okay? So they're either moving to something better or they're not happy where they are, okay? Now, rarely move out of the company, that depends a lot on the person who's involved, right? So some people, they work at a company, they love it for, you know, all year and a half to two years, they're there. And then somebody comes along and offers them something that looks more interesting and they move, right? So you didn't make their life miserable. You know, you were paying them fine. They loved every minute of the company. Somebody came along and offered them something better and they took it, okay? So nothing you did wrong, you know, it was just time for them to move on. And I see a lot of people do that. I do see a lot of top engineers move though because, yeah, the company is making them miserable or because they're not working with other top people and that's what they're looking for. So it depends a lot on what they value and how well the company lines up with that. And if things change because it's not lined up with that anymore, then they'll leave. But most of the time, the top engineers won't stick around in the first place if you have a lot of process meetings, trainings, and non-value-added activities. In fact, more than that, a lot of them generate a smell test for this kind of thing, and they won't even go to a company that has these problems. Okay. And if they do, they're out fast. So you, you have to realize too, then that what we're talking about here is, you know, you're not going to leave because you make their life miserable. Some of them will leave because you made their life miserable, but most of them aren't even going to come in the first place if you have these problems. And they'll tell you that too. You know, they'll, they'll have worked at a couple of places that had these problems and they're just going to say, look, uh, I'm sorry, but I did a little bit of uh, looking and it looks like what, you know, what you're doing is crazy. But a lot of other people, they, they like the process and the meetings and, and things like that. And so, you know, again, it just depends on how well you line up with them. And this is a really, really poor way of putting that. All right. So <laughs> you have to read the comments on this one too. And I, I put a link to the tweet in the show notes. But Mike Conley, he put in a bunch of these like uh, uh, a 10x engineer is usually levitating and farting out ones and zeros, <laughs> right? Or a 10x engineer doesn't believe in computers, only software. They only eat freshly printed pages of source code, right? A 10X engineer doesn't have hair, but Ethernet cables snake out of their skull. I mean, some, some of these are so funny. A 10X engineer spotted in the wild, hacking in progress, and it shows a guy like running down the aisle at uh, Walmart and typing on all the laptops. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. So anyway, there, and then, you know, there are other responses here that are just like, this is terrible advice. I've worked with 10X engineers in the past. 
And they're, you know, they're only seen to produce so much because they stop everyone else from contributing. Okay, so, so you kind of get this idea, right? So what is a 10x engineer? Who, who's the kind of engineer that you actually want to hire? And you know, I feel like if I'm going to crap all over this guy's tweets, I need to actually give you something to go off of. I need to give you something to work on. And I've given this advice to a whole bunch of different people who come to me and essentially, uh, usually the line I get is, we're looking for senior engineers. We're looking for, for, for a guy that can, you know, he can write code in his sleep. He just puts his head on the keyboard and it just shows up in Visual Studio code. And, and it's just so awesome. The solution's committed before he's even really understood the problem. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I'm sorry for going into my idiot voice, but man, it just, it, it drives me bonkers. And it's like, okay, well, here's the thing is if you want those kinds of engineers, the easiest way to get them is to hire those kinds of engineers. Because what happens is, is those kinds of people tend to like to work together. And so they probably worked with other 10X engineers at other places. And so if you can get one of them in the door and make them super happy and make them want to work on your problems, then they're going to go tell their friends, hey, this is a great place to work and here are all the perks and here's why I like it. They, they give us all the stuff that we want and then they'll bring the friends, okay? Just saying. So how do you get that first person, right? How do you get the 10X engineer, if the thing exists, I'm going to just keep using that term, you know, regardless of whether they're a 5X engineer, a 10X engineer, a 2X engineer, whatever. How do you find them? The first thing you have to do is actually identify who that is for you. And I'm sure some people's heads are exploding. What do you mean? What is for us? You know, aren't 10X engineers all the same? Nope, sorry. (laughs) Bad news, 10X engineers are not the same for every organization. And this is the thing, right? Is that if you want 10X engineers, you have to make them. What, what you do is you hire a 4X engineer and then you bring them into the organization and then you clear out all the stuff that gets in their way and you give them all the stuff they need to become a 10X engineer. So you give them the other 2.5X and so your 4X times your 2.5X gets you to the 10X, right? So then how can we make them two and a half times more productive than they currently are? A lot of that has to do with your corporate values, your corporate culture, and what you provide them as far as how they work, okay? So some people are going to thrive working remotely. And so let's say that you have a 100% remote company. Well, then what you want is you want somebody who thrives working remotely, somebody who thrives working on under the circumstances that you work in. If you instead have a bullpen, you know, just a big open room that the developers work in at your office, and they all get desks at cubicles or just desks in the room. I've worked in both. Then you need to find people that work well under those circumstances that can show up. Maybe they put their headphones on and work. And then they, you know, they build camaraderie on the team. And so the team pulls together and solves problems together. And, and you make all that work for you. Or maybe you're looking for a couple of loaners because you just need a handful of services that just need to talk to each other. And so the one engineer is going to build one service, the other engineer is going to build another service, and they're just going to call each other's APIs. And you don't really care what the APIs look like as long as they work. In which case, maybe you can get one of these loaner guys to work for you. I'm still not going to count on it because they, their, their services still have to talk to each other. And there's going to be some level of orchestration that has to happen together. And so they are going to have to work together to some degree. You know, so I still don't believe what, what this guy's putting out. But again, you know, it, it all comes back to that same thing. The other thing is, is that your 10x engineers are going to be the kindest people that when you add them to the team, the overall output of the team goes up by virtue of them being there to a 10x level. And so we expected to hire a person and if they were average coding output person, right, 
we would expect that our ability to put out features would increase by a certain percentage, right? So maybe we have four people on the team. And so we would expect it to go up by, you know, 25%. And so if they come in and they can increase the output of the team by 100% or 200%, then they're a 10x engineer. But if they're coming in and doing that, it's not because they're slinging that much more code than everybody else. It's because they're coming in and they're enabling everybody else. They are solving the problems. They're showing people better ways to do things. They are educating your team. They are making things work. They're a leader. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for those people that are going to show up. They're going to write great code. They're going to help your team organize code so that they're more effective. They're going to help people organize the processes by which you submit code and make them more effective. They are going to make your deployment processes better so that you don't have to have people stay all night and make sure that the deployment works. You know, you get the idea, right? Your 10x engineers are going to be the kinds of people that show up and make a difference at the organizational level. And the way that you find them is you look at your corporate values and you make sure that they line up with those. Because if they don't, even if they're highly productive, you're going to have problems because the people who are there that are true believers are not going to be, want to be around them and you're going to lose them. And they're probably being productive anyway. So the people that line up with your corporate values and are productive are going to leave because you've got some guy in there that doesn't fit. And so he's making everybody miserable. Even if he or she is a good fit somewhere else, they're not a good fit for you and you've got to get rid of them. And then the other thing is, is you have to make sure that you understand some of the ways that you want them to make a difference. So look at your organization and say, you know what, we really do need somebody who's going to come in here and rally around people, or we really do do need somebody who's going to come in here and increase the quality of the code. Somebody who's going to help us set up continuous integration or continuous deployment. Somebody who can come in here and help us write better tests. Somebody who can come in here and help us organize our Express app. Somebody who can come in here and give some direction for the way that we're writing React or Angular or Vue. Maybe we need somebody who can understand the build system better. We're running into a lot of problems where it works on the developer machine, but not on our machine. So maybe you need somebody who can come in and isn't afraid to get their hands dirty with Docker or Kubernetes or something. So you get an idea of of what you're missing, what you're lacking, and then hire them. And then the other thing is, is once you have that, the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that some of your corporate values are probably going to be around the way that you work. And so the way that you work and the way that they work should line up. You don't want to have to change the entire organization to accommodate somebody who needs peace and quiet because everybody else may actually thrive by going out to lunch together and then coming back laughing and slinging jokes around for the rest of the afternoon while they work. They're going to drive this 10x person crazy and they're not going to be able to get 10x work done. But if you have somebody that fits the mold as far as that goes, and so they work well under the circumstances that you're going to have them work under, then you may be able to get them from 2x to 3 or 4x and then get them a machine that you know will accommodate their needs and put them in the corner that they want to be in and things like that. And maybe you'll increase them to 4x to 5x. And by doing a lot of these things, you know, giving them a certain level of autonomy or giving them a certain level of very clear direction. You know, some people thrive under one circumstance and some people thrive under the other. And so by optimizing things so that you're providing them with the things that they need, you can get them to 10x. You know, have the agile retrospectives and things like that that allow them to help your organization evolve the way that they do things so that they can be more productive. Give them opportunities 
to provide code reviews for the rest of your organization. Give them opportunities to have a say and have a voice in a lot of the other stuff that you're doing. So, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about is, you know, it's not just bringing people in who fit the mold and plugging them into the system and then watching them churn out code. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Software development is a people problem as much as it is a programming and technology problem. And so what you're looking to do is you're actually looking to bring these people on board and set them up for success. The other thing is, is you may find that you're hiring a 2x engineer who's new, who, who doesn't know the technology as well, or you know has to come up to speed on your stack or things like that. And you can turn them into a 10x engineer by doing these things. So by finding somebody who you can groom to be a good leader, finding somebody who you can groom to be a good mentor, finding people who believe in your corporate values and things like that, finding people who are going to get in and just take hold of things and run with them, people who are going to take the initiative to make things better. Those are the things that are actually going to kick in and matter. And so those are the people that you're going to want to hire as your 10x engineers. And so all this other stuff about how these people basically plug their brain into the computer and then think code onto it, and they're just going to generate a certain amount of code It's dumb. It is dumb. You want people who are going to work well in your team, who are going to inspire people to do better on your team, who are going to teach them techniques that are going to help them to be better, who are going to help everybody level up. And I've worked with a number of these people. And then also can sit down and actually get the work done themselves. Those are the people you want. You're looking to hire leaders. You're looking to hire thinkers. You're looking to hire people who are trying to keep up. You're looking to hire people who are looking at what's coming next and how that applies to what you and everybody else are doing. And then allowing them to come in and be 10x people, removing the obstacles to them being 10x people, not wasting their time and effort, but encouraging them to do the things that are going to actually make a difference in the long run. So the overall approach to oh, you're a 10x engineer, is these tweets are just stupid. I've had a lot of people come to me and talk to me about their reaction to, but there's no such thing as a 10x engineer. And the thing is, is that, yeah, ultimately, in my opinion anyway, it's impossible to measure, okay? It's impossible to measure because there are so many things that go into it and so many things that really apply in different ways that it's just, it makes it really, really hard to boil down to a number where you can say, this guy has uh, six checks and this guy has 60 checks and that, that means that he's a 10x. It's, it's just hard. It's really hard. But you can measure organizational throughput. And if you can measure organizational throughput and you expect a certain level of outcome and you see another level of outcome, that, that's what a 10x engineer is. And so, you know, if you hire your third person and he increases your output on your team by 50%, and every person you add to the team after that, he adds 10 or 20% to what they're putting out, you're very quickly going to get to 10x. But it's not going to be because your 10x engineer is this genius coder that sits down, sets his screen to black background, uses the right font, uses Vim, and then nerds out onto the computer all day. It's going to be because he or she is the kind of person that gets in, understands the code, understands the problem, communicates it well with other people, works with them, works with them well to get the job done, takes a leadership role in making sure that the right solutions are implemented, and then at the end of the day, makes the entire team better. That's a 10x engineer. And if you're looking for somebody that's going to do the other, good freaking luck. 
Because what's going to happen is they're going to come in, they're going to ostracize everybody else, they're going to look super productive, you're going to be afraid to get rid of them, and then everybody else is going to leave. And it'll be your fault. So there you go. That's my rant on 10x. Um, (laughs) I probably got a little bit more emotionally charged than I should have. But uh, initially, I read I, I read some of the reactions to the tax, and I'm like, "What's the big deal? Some people are more productive than others." But then I went and read the tweets, and I'm like, "Yeah, this guy is saying bring this toxic person into your culture and hope it doesn't blow it up because it'll make everything better." And that just isn't the case. It really isn't the case. And again, that point number nine, where they're a bad mentor and they don't communicate well. If you hire one of those people, God help you. Is all I have to say. You really need somebody who can communicate well. It doesn't mean that you gloss over any of their technical qualifications or skills, but you also don't want to discount the fact that they may have worked in another technology and can pick up what you're doing relatively quickly too. And if they meet those requirements and they meet all of the other requirements as far as uh, leadership and, and quality and things like that, you know, hire them. Hire them and do whatever it takes to keep them. If you have to give them a raise every year, things like that, I mean, if they're giving your team that kind of output, if they are having that kind of impact on your organization, if they are really kicking it into gear for you that way, they're worth every nickel. And if they really are putting out 10x, then giving them raises all the way up to 10x what you're paying somebody else, again, it is worth every dime. It is worth every dime. Because when they leave, they'll take all that organizational knowledge with you your team performance is going to go back down to whatever normal is without them. And you're going to wish you had them. And so, yeah, I, I just can't emphasize enough. You know, um, it doesn't matter what everybody else in the industry is doing. If you've got one of these people that raises organizational excellence to that level, do whatever it takes to keep them and, and make them happy. And make them happy doesn't always mean pay, right? Make them happy may mean that you give them a month sabbatical or that you let them go speak at as many conferences as they want to go speak at. A lot of people are looking for different things in organizations. And so by providing them what they're looking for, you're going to keep them happy. And so just find out what it is they want. Find out what makes them tick. Oh, I want so much time to work on side projects. Great. I want so much time to work on open source. Great. I want so much time to go travel to conferences. Great. I want you to foot the bill for my travel. Great. You know, whatever it takes. But at the end of the day, then they can come back And they can knock it out of the park for you. And you're going to be happy you had them. And there are tons of people out there that are kind of at the top level of the JavaScript community or the programming community that that kind of meet this description. And so you can kind of model after them to a certain degree. But really, you know, there are people out there that have no interest in being in the, the limelight that will do this for your organization. I've had the pleasure of working with some of them. I've had the displeasure of working with some people that were highly productive on their own. And we're terrible to work with on a team. And these days, if you're building any kind of complex application that does any kind of work, it's a team sport. And so if you have a whole bunch of the 10x engineers as described on Twitter, what you're going to wind up with, I remember in 1998 was the year I graduated from high school. The LA Lakers had, I think they had like uh, six or seven basically superstars on their team. And they made it to the playoffs and then they crashed and burned. And the reason was, is because none of these superstars wanted to play with any of the other superstars. They wanted to be the super duper star. And it just, it hurt everybody. It was really kind of funny to watch. Well, because I wasn't a Lakers fan. But at the end of the day, it didn't work. You know, you needed people that were willing to 
play with each other and work with each other and not have a pissing match with each other. And so, you know, on their own or on a team where everybody's willing to feed the ball